This episode contains references to suicide. Please take care. People die or disappear under strange circumstances all the time. For the people left behind, there is little to do but grieve and wonder why or how it happened to their loved one. But what happens when someone powerful and well-known disappears under strange circumstances? What does it look like when an entire country is left wondering why and how someone seemingly evaporated? When there is no clear explanation, people will reach pretty far for answers. Welcome to Strange and Unexplained with me, Daisy Egan. I am someone who loves the ocean, from the beauty and mystery below the water's surface to the steady sound of the waves crashing against the shore and rolling back out to sea. The ocean is a glorious thing. I just don't want to be in it. From the icy water to the salt water up the nose to the brief but terrifying feeling underneath a wave when I am sure that this time is it. Even with the most gentle undertow, being under the surface in the ocean is one of my least favorite feelings. Plus, with everything we know about how dangerous Australia is, you could offer me a million dollars and I would not go into the ocean in Australia. Besides, honestly, what can a million dollars even get you these days? That's rhetorical. Please let me have this. I don't want to go into the ocean in Australia. The same could not be said for one Harold Holt, Australia's prime minister in 1966 and 67. Man, that guy loved the ocean. He loved the ocean so much that if he'd met Pee-wee Herman, Pee-wee would have told him to marry the ocean. Which, of course, he wouldn't have been able to do, obviously, because he was already married. Not that that stopped him from having relationships outside his marriage, including his relationship with the very sea that would eventually claim him. We think. Harold Holt was born in 1908 in Sydney to two school teachers. His parents divorced when he was 10. According to the National Museum of Australia's website, quote, he attended Wesley College, Melbourne, where he won awards for sporting ability, character, and leadership. He went on to study law at the University of Melbourne, where he played football, cricket, and tennis for Queen's College, end quote. College in Australia, by the way, is what we Americans call high school. Could you imagine an award in high school for character? Like, what does that even mean? Who gets to decide? And don't kids have enough to worry about what with acne and weird smells and random boners than to also have to worry about winning best character? Anyway. According to the National Museum website, quote, he worked as a solicitor, became secretary to the Cinematography Exhibitors Association, and was an active member of the Young Nationalists, end quote. Honestly, I read nationalist and got worried, so I googled it. It seems in Australia, nationalist means more libertarian than Nazi, so just to be clear, this is not an episode about a Nazi. Okay, so Harold, not a Nazi Holt, entered politics in 1935, winning a seat on Parliament in Faulkner, Victoria. He held this seat until 1946 when he switched to, quote, the seat of Higgins, which I think just means he moved and was representing a different district, essentially. 
In the middle of all this politicking, he also enlisted in the army at 31. I will say this, having politicians who make decisions about the military actually serving in the military makes great sense to me. Incidentally, I was thinking we should have a Squid Games type competition for every member of the US Senate. Anyway. 1946 was also when Holt married Zara Dickens and adopted her three sons from her previous marriage. Holt held various positions throughout his time as an elected official, culminating in his appointment as prime minister in January 1966. Holt was viewed as a breath of fresh air, according to Emeritus Professor of Politics at the Australian National University, John Warhurst, in an interview in 2017. Holt was 14 years younger than his predecessor, and at 59 years old would be considered a toddler in American politics. We like our presidents to be as old as our nation, if possible. And he was stylish, which I don't know about you, but I always want my political representative to slay. And he was progressive in his politics. Warhurst credits Holt with ushering in a modern age for Australian prime ministers. Holt quickly gained popularity in his role as prime minister, introducing a number of policies aimed at opening Australia up to the world, including beginning relations with Asia and working to end the White Australia policy, which had been in effect since 1901 and which limited immigration into Australia to those who could pass a dictation test that was virtually impossible for any non-English speaking, non-European people. Charming. Holt was chummy with U.S. President Lyndon B. Johnson and supported the U.S. aggression in Vietnam. According to Holt's biographer, Tom Frame, quote, he wanted more U.S. involvement in Asia, and because he had a good personal relationship with Johnson, he tried to use that to cajole, encourage, and entice Americans to be part of Asia, end quote. This is mighty confusing, if you ask me. He was trying to open up diplomatic ties with Asia and wanted Americans to be part of Asia, whatever that means, while also supporting America's war in Vietnam? Uh, did he not know that Vietnam is in Asia? Anyway, while it took Holt over 30 years to work his way up to prime minister, seemingly avoiding any career-ending scandals, Less than a year into his prime ministership, Holt's popularity began to wane. Members of his own party viewed him as weak. He made some embarrassing political blunders, and as public sentiment about the war in Vietnam became less and less favorable, Holt's strong support of the war made him seem out of touch and bad at decision-making. Holt was also having an affair with a woman named Marjorie Gillespie and likely had affairs with multiple other women. As Mike Rampton wrote for Mel Magazine in a 2022 piece, Holt was, quote, having what was later described as dozens of affairs, end quote. In short, Holt was a powerful man behaving pretty typically. Sigh. But a man needs more than just sex to be complete, of course, and most of Harold's other personal pursuits involved the ocean. He was super into spearfishing. As Rampton put it, Holt spent, quote, a lot of his free time paddling around in a wetsuit, impaling fish, and shoving them into his suit so he could keep going, end quote. 
And that's not vital information, but I would feel wrong not at least addressing the image of a man changing out of his wetsuit at the trunk of his car or wherever, unzipping his suit, only to have a bunch of dead fish spill out onto the ground. Oh, never mind those. It's just my dinner. Anyway, Holt had played Australian rules football when he was young. Australian football appears to be a cross between American football and European football, soccer, but also with the no-traveling rule of basketball. Anyway, it was during a game that Holt sustained a shoulder injury that bothered him throughout the rest of his life. That injury meant that Holt had some trouble with swim strokes that involved lifting his shoulder. But, as evidenced by his wetsuit full of fishies, Holt didn't let his injury keep him from the water. He was so in love with being in the water that he was always trying to build up his lung capacity to hold his breath for longer and longer stretches. According to a 2017 piece for Inside Story by Tom Griffiths, quote, he constantly tried to build the strength of his lungs. Zara would sometimes come into the bathroom and find him face down in the water. Long, boring parliamentary debates offered him a chance to practice holding his breath, end quote. Could you imagine the first time she walked in and found her husband lying face down in the tub? Face down? And I, too, sometimes hold my breath for long periods of time, but not from boredom. In fact, most of the time, I have no idea I'm even doing it until I suddenly realize I need air. It's really fun going through life with generalized anxiety. 10 out of 10 would recommend. At one point, Holt's press secretary, Tony Eggleton, expressed some concerns about Holt's passion for the water. It seemed he was concerned that the prime minister was putting himself in unnecessary danger. Holt apparently replied, Look, Tony, what are the odds of a PM being drowned or taken by a shark? And look, I'm no statistician, but I'm willing to bet the odds of a PM dying in the ocean are exactly the same as the odds of any regular person dying in the ocean. And the odds of either of those people dying in the ocean in Australia are, like, double. Like, I don't think the title of prime minister comes with some magic bubble that protects you from drowning and sharks, you know? Unless Holt knew something I don't, I'm sure there are plenty of government secrets, but something tells me that ain't one of them. I don't think the Secret Service is trained to fight sharks, but wouldn't it be so cool if they were? And again, this is why I don't fucks with the ocean. But it wasn't just Holt's staff that was worried. Holt's doctor advised him to lay off swimming and tennis for a while. The tennis, I understand, but the swimming? Isn't swimming like the single best exercise option? Then again... I'm not a doctor. I'm just a Tony Award-winning dummy with a podcast. But Holt wasn't hearing it. And on December 17th, 1967, he planned to go spearfishing at 4 p.m. at Cheviot Beach, a.k.a. Back Beach Quarantine Station. Now, look, you can call me a scaredy cat, but I'm steering clear of anywhere with the word quarantine in its name. According to Smithsonian Magazine, quote, Cheviot Beach had long been perilous. Countless shipwrecks had been documented in the vicinity over the centuries, and the area had been cordoned off as a military zone, end quote. 
In fact, the beach was called Cheviot Beach because a ship called the SS Cheviot sank off its coast in 1887. No, thank you. But Holt, I guess because of that magic prime minister bubble, had permission to use the beach. Listen, power may afford you privilege, but that doesn't mean it affords you common sense. And not only was Holt allowed access to this dangerous beach, but he was allowed to bring guests as well. I'd like to swim at Cheviot Beach. That beach is closed off to the public. It's dangerous. Yeah, but like, I'm not the public. Right, but you are a human. Listen, mate, I'm the Prime Minister. Nothing is going to happen to me. Well, that's not logic, but it's your funeral. Thanks. Oh, and also I'll be bringing friends. No take backs. Listen, I live in Rhode Island, where apparently no one got the memo about bicycle helmets. I have yet to see a child that isn't my own on a bike or scooter wearing a helmet. I think the general feeling is, well, I don't know anyone who died from falling off a bike. Okay, maybe you don't, but... Like, a lot of people have. Like, a lot. And it's awful. Like, if they tell you you shouldn't swim at a particular beach, go find a different beach. So, on Sunday morning, December 17th, Holt called up his woman on the side, Marjorie Gillespie, and was like, do you and anyone in your family and any guests they might have around want to come to this dangerous beach with me? Crikey. And here's the wildest part. She said yes. And brought along her daughter, her daughter's boyfriend, and a family friend. Again, you can't buy common sense. Also, I'm all for straight men and women being friends, but, like, when your husband has had dozens of affairs and then he's like, uh, I'm gonna invite my friend to go swimming, but not you. One wonders if Holt's wife knew at this point that Holt and Gillespie were having an affair and just didn't care. I'd wager a lot of political marriages are just for show, anyway. Okay, So, Holt and his gaggle of friends got to the Verboten Beach in the early afternoon in time to watch Alec Rose, an English sailor, pass by during his journey to circumnavigate the globe. After that thrilling sight, the group walked to Cheviot Beach where they noticed the water was, quote, very high, which I think means the waves were big, and there was a lot of detritus in the water, flotsam and jetsam, if you will, in the form of driftwood. Holt went behind a rock to change into his bathing suit and sand shoes. Again, I don't know what sand shoes are, but it's probably a fancier and more official version of the slip-ons I bought at Walgreens for $7 so I could manage a pebbly beach. The group walked about 30 yards, put their stuff down, and according to the official report from the investigation, they had a kiki about the rough waters. Holt's girlfriend Marjorie told the inquiry... The surf was higher than I'd ever seen it, and it was a full tide, but not unduly rough at this stage. The sea beyond where it was breaking appeared to be calm. The family friend, Alan Stewart, said, I noticed that the tide was very high and the surf was very turbulent. In fact, the biggest I have seen on that beach. And Marjorie's daughter's boyfriend said, I went into the water almost knee-deep, and there was a fairly strong undercurrent, so I just splashed around without going in too far. But not Harold Holt. 
Holt said, I know this beach like the back of my hand. Now, stranger, I need some audience participation here. Close your eyes if you're not driving, Obvi. And tell me what the back of your hand looks like. You can't, can you? Unless you have some kind of scar or freckle or tattoo or whatever. What is that stupid saying? Why not I know it like I know my own face? Anyway, Holt hopped in the water and waded out pretty far. And according to the Smithsonian Magazine, his friend Alan Stewart later recalled thinking, If Mr. Holt can take it, I had better go in too. And that, my friend, is what we call male toxicity. Can you say conformity bias? I guess Alan's mother never said, and if your friends jumped off the Empire State Building, would you do that too? But Stewart then noticed that Holt was swimming in some pretty turbulent water. Back on land, Marjorie was watching Holt swim farther and farther away from shore. According to the official report, quote, she saw the water become very turbulent around him very suddenly and appeared to boil, and these conditions seemed to swamp him. He was not seen again, end quote. Marjorie and the rest of the group climbed up on rocks to get a better view, but they couldn't see Holt amongst the waves. Prime Minister Harry Holt was gone. After spending a few minutes looking for Holt, the group started getting frantic, and Alan Stewart ran back to the car and raced to the main gate. Through a series of phone calls, because it hadn't yet occurred to people that there should be a way to call emergency services directly, Stewart got a hold of the police and a search and rescue mission started immediately. Meanwhile, three skin divers who happened to be at the main gate jumped into action. But as soon as they got to Cheviot Beach, according to the official report, they realized they couldn't do much searching. One of the skin divers, Corporal Woods, told the official inquest, the water was dirty, it was difficult to see, and the undertow was extremely strong. We were just getting pushed backwards and forwards by the waves, and the undertow was trying to pull us into the channel and out to sea. It was too tough to be able to search properly. The tide had only just gone on the turn. The divers then climbed up on a rock and searched the waters with binoculars, but still, no sign of Holt. Within an hour, there were helicopters circling above the ocean of Cheviot Beach, officers searching from a cliff above the beach, and police divers tethered to the land to keep from getting swept out to sea by the powerful undercurrent. It was the largest search and rescue effort Australia had ever seen. The waves were six to eight feet high, above a drop of 60 feet. So tumultuous that a rescue boat capsized early in the search. And as it got darker, conditions in the water just got worse. Search party members said it felt like being inside a washing machine. As the search was called off for the night, Tom Jones, a local news reporter, not the singer of Pussycat. Also, side note, you know how everyone says women would throw their underwear at him when he was on stage? Apparently his manager paid them to do it so he would feel sexy and whatnot. Anyway, reporter Tom Jones asked a rescuer what the chances were that Holt's body might be found at that point. And the rescuer replied, At the moment, none at all. And chances weren't any better in the morning. 
According to a piece on ABC in 2020, quote, already poor conditions had been compounded by torrential rain driven by a howling gale. And as soldiers canvassed the base of the cliff into Port Phillip Bay for signs of life, it was apparent the accent of the search had changed, end quote. Holt's press secretary, Tony Eggleton, told ABC at the time, I think all of us close to the PM are still hanging on to a shred of hope. But as time goes on, it really is diminishing. And ABC reporter Peter Baster ended his report that morning with this. There is now a firm realization that there's no hope of finding Mr. Holt alive. So, on December 19, 1967, Holt was declared dead and a memorial service was held. Good old American president and warmonger LBJ, Prince, at the time Charles, and the presidents of Vietnam and South Korea attended. And clearly, I don't understand world politics because it strikes me as odd that the president of Vietnam attended the funeral of a politician who actively supported America's aggression in Vietnam alongside the American president, no less. Unless there's like a North and South Vietnam situation, or there was at the time, I guess. Listen, yes, I am the asshole. I guess I must have been absent that day in history class. At first, because Holt's body was never recovered, there was no official inquest into his disappearance. That would come later, when a new law was enacted that was like, uh, maybe we should also investigate disappearances slash suspected deaths, especially those of national leaders. And in January of 1968, an official statement was released that read, quote, there has been no indication that the disappearance of the late Mr. Holt was anything other than accidental, end quote. But you and I both know, stranger, that just because the powers that be can't provide a satisfactory answer doesn't mean that regular folk like you and me won't do our damnedest to come up with our own. In fact, often when they do give a satisfactory answer, which actually this one was, people will buy a ticket to the farthest reaches of logic to find a different, more satisfying answer. Even though the chances of a prime minister drowning or being eaten by sharks are exactly the same as the chances of a plumber or a banker or a social media influencer, a lot of people could not accept that this prime minister met his fate that way. After all, if it can happen to the country's most powerful person, then it can definitely happen to me, so I'd better come up with a conspiracy to make myself feel better. And so, the rumor train tooted its stupid whistle and left the station. The first stop on its tour was, unfortunately, suicide by the sea. People wondered if the political pressure, Holt's sagging approval ratings because of his enthusiasm for an unpopular war, and rumors of his affairs drove him to take his own life. An article in 2007 from the Bulletin revealed four highly confidential pages that had been found in Holt's briefcase in the car he took to get to the beach that morning. The pages, they said, quote, reveal treachery by his friend and treasurer, Billy McMahon, along with a threat by Holt to cut relations with Japan, which had just taken over from Britain as Australia's biggest trading partner, end quote. 
The bulletin also alleged that Marjorie Gillespie's husband was getting ready to divorce her and come forward about her affair with Holt. And in an interview, a former colleague of Holt's claimed that in the days before he disappeared, Holt expressed a deep depression over the political intrigue and infighting within the government. His opinion was that Holt, quote, just didn't care, end quote, by which I assume he meant he had given up. So some believe that Holt either went into the water with the intention of killing himself or had truly given up to the point that he didn't care one way or the other if he made it out. But Holt's family disputes this theory. In a 2015 interview with the Herald Sun, Sam, Holt's son, refuted the rumors and said, There's no mystery. In essence, there's no credibility at all. No one in our family believes it. And as further evidence, I suppose, the Herald Sun article had this to say, quote, A series of eight 16-millimeter films donated by his family to the National Archives of Australia shows Holt collecting shells with TV personality and friend Dolly Dyer, enjoying a picnic, collecting plants for his wife Zara, spearfishing, being smothered in suntan oil, and risking his life to retrieve a trapped spear gun given to him as a gift by U.S. President Lyndon Baines Johnson, end quote. According to the Herald, several months after his disappearance, Holt's wife Zara was quoted saying, Harold was too selfish for that. This is a weird statement. And I am not one to begrudge a woman whose philandering husband has died her right to say whatever she wants, but the conventional wisdom is that suicide is selfish. I'm not saying it is. I'm just saying the general perception is that people who die by suicide don't think about the devastating consequences of their actions. Of course, anyone who has ever had suicidal ideation will tell you that when you are at that point, you think you'd be doing everyone around you a favor. To be clear, you will not be doing them a favor by taking your own life. Even if you actually are the burden you think you are, which you're most likely not, no one wants to live with the grief of losing someone that way. A former colleague of Holtz said, He was very much looking to the future. And Holt's press secretary, Eggleston, who spoke with him the day before, said, He didn't sound like a man planning to jump into the sea and end it the next day. Unfortunately, of course, most of us are well aware that sometimes people who seem perfectly happy and successful do take their own lives. Sometimes people are really good at hiding the signs and their suicide takes everyone by surprise. But Holt's biographer also thinks the suicide theory is weak. He said, quote, He had been in political life for 32 years. He had seen this stuff, controversy, come and go. This was just another example of it, end quote. Also, it seems especially cruel to invite five people to your suicide. Like, why would he do that? Unless dying was a spur-of-the-moment decision, which is certainly possible, but one would think someone from that day would have said he seemed a little down or distracted or something. The next stop on the rumor train was the prime minister was killed by the CIA town. This is, as we know, a very popular town with storefronts dedicated to any number of dead politicians. 
According to both Smithsonian and Mel magazines, this theory was that the U.S. was jumpy about the possibility of Holt withdrawing Australia's support in the conflict with Vietnam. Popular opinion was that Australians were beginning to see Holt's chummy relationship with LBJ as sycophantic and dangerous. So the CIA killed him before he could pull Australian support. This rumor was bolstered by the lack of official inquiry into Holt's disappearance, but of course that was just policy. Goofy policy, but policy nonetheless. According to a piece on ABC in 2017, some unnamed American lawyer wrote a letter, to whom I don't know, the day after Holt's disappearance, saying there was a better than 50% chance his death, quote, resulted from expert sabotage, probably foreign, end quote. The method, he speculated, would be a delayed action poison, which, he said, quote, would be revealed by expert autopsy unless it's one of the new disappearing ones, end quote. Of course, there was no body, so there would be no autopsy. Next up, we'll take a tour of the Prime Minister Was a Chinese Spyville. This is one of my favorite places to visit. It's so colorful. The mayor of the Prime Minister Was a Chinese Spyville was journalist Anthony Gray, whose book was aptly titled, The Prime Minister Was a Spy. Gray's book alleged that Holt had been working with the Chinese government throughout his career, sharing secrets with Beijing. But as Mel Magazine laid out Gray's theory, quote, when he realized he was about to be exposed, he arranged to be secretly picked up by Chinese divers and taken to a submarine to live the rest of his life in peace in China, end quote. I mean, that's not how spying works. The host government doesn't come whisk you away to safety. I'm pretty sure if someone is found to be a spy, generally the protocol is to bite down on their back molars, which releases a cyanide pill, killing them in a gruesome, rather slow and showy death. Anyone who's ever seen a James Bond movie knows that. As the head of MI6, M, says in Casino Royale, in the old days, if an agent did something that embarrassing, he'd have the good sense to defect. Christ, I miss the Cold War. Judy Dench is an international treasure. However, according to the piece on Inside Story from 2017, quote, the chief source of the allegation, Ronald Titcomb, has been described as a professional con man, and the author of the book, British novelist Anthony Gray, believed that all life forms on Earth were genetically engineered by an advanced extraterrestrial civilization. The spy theory was coolly dismissed as a complete fabrication by Tom Frame in his fine biography, The Life and Death of Harold Holt, end quote. That is a lot. And of course, it would be exactly what the Chinese government wants us to believe. But because all of the ships that had wrecked and sunk off the coast of Cheviot Beach... The idea of a submarine getting close enough to pick anyone up is hard to reconcile. And Zara, Holt's wife, was quoted saying, Harry, Chinese submarine? He didn't even like Chinese cooking. You know what, lady? Why don't we leave the comedy to the professionals? And also that, strangers, is the worst thing about Harold Holt. Not liking Chinese cooking? Sesame noodles? Salt and pepper squid? Shrimp and broccoli and black bean sauce? I never. Also, I hungry. 
So, now the rumor train will drop us back off in the world of logic, where we'll have to admit the truth is probably that Harold Holt got pulled out to sea by turbulent waters and a powerful undertow. Despite the amount of time he spent in the water and all the breath-holding exercises, Holt was, it turns out, not a great swimmer. He was a much stronger diver than he was a swimmer. Plus, his wife pointed out that if he was wearing his sand shoes instead of his flippers, there was no way he could have fought the current. I will have to remember that as I wade in the rocky surf in my Walgreens specials next year. And remember, there was his shoulder injury, which was made worse by a game of tennis the day before. Marjorie Gillespie told the police that because of Holt's injury, he couldn't do an overarm stroke, which I assume one would need to fight the waves. But again, I wouldn't know because the ocean. His friends on the shore thought he was just swimming out, but it's likely he'd gone too far, too fast, and couldn't reach the bottom to stand up. And because he was often impetuous and unlikely to admit when he was wrong, he didn't want to call out for help. And again, I say, the patriarchy hurts everyone. And it turns out Holt had almost drowned twice that year including once before at Cheviot Beach, where apparently he turned purple from lack of oxygen. In 2005, a formal inquiry was finally conducted in which, quote, State Coroner Graham Johnson found that Harold Holt had drowned at Cheviot Beach and that his body had been either swept out to sea or taken by sharks, end quote. The ABC piece says that this finding finally put all the rumors to rest. But you and I both know, stranger, that it didn't. People will cling to rumors like a prime minister clings to the belief that he is impervious to death at sea. In the end, neither Poseidon or Yamaya nor Davy Jones gives a shit about your job title. If you ignore the warnings, the lords of the sea might well claim you for their own. In other words, stay on dry land, landlubbers. Next time on Strange and Unexplained. When moving to a new town, it's probably a good idea not to piss off all the neighbors for no good reason. That way, when people start turning up dead on your property, the whole town isn't calling for your head. We'll take a trip to Dudgeon Swamp. Can't get enough Strange and Unexplained? Join us over on Patreon for three bonus episodes a month for just five bucks. Or for $7, you get three bonus episodes and all the regular episodes ad-free. Patreon.com slash Strange and Unexplained. Strange and Unexplained is a production of the Obsessed Network. This episode was written by me, Daisy Egan, and produced by the amazing Natalie Grillo and Angela Palladino. Research by Jess McKillop, editing by Eve Kerrigan, sound engineering and mixing by Jennifer Swatek. Our voice actors for this episode were Jordan Kybernet, Ryan Garcia, and Luther Creek. We have a lot of fascinating and bizarre stories to share with you this season, but we want to hear your episode suggestions as well. If you have an idea for a topic we should cover, go to our website, strangeandunexplainedpod.com, and fill out the contact form. Find us on Instagram at SNUPod and join our Facebook page to join in the conversation. 
If you like our show, please do help us out by rating us on Apple or wherever you get your podcasts. A five-star review and a quick sentence really helps the show out a lot. If you don't like the show, you can leave a terrible review. The name of the podcast is Explicitly Pro-Life with Kristen Hawkins. See you next time.